Thank you for listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered. Find out why organizations like the University of Tennessee, OzTic, Tough Mudder, and many, many others work with Booking Protect to offer their guests a better buying experience, more peace of mind in their purchases, and how they are able to get a new stream of revenue from their partnership with Booking Protect, visit Booking Protect's website at www.bookingprotect.com. Again, www.bookingprotect.com. Booking Protect, the global leader in refund protection. My guest today is Maureen Anderson. Maureen is the CEO of Intix. And I was very excited to have Maureen on because we had a lot to talk about. And one of the great things that I really wanted to highlight in our conversation was Maureen's passion for advancing and promoting the profession of ticketing. Uh, in this conversation, we talked about the evolution of careers in ticketing. We talked about um, priorities and vision, and we talked about the Intix conference and how um, program uh, how they how she programs it to make sure that everybody's continuing to learn. We talked about um, marketing, and we talked about the arts, and we talked about um, competition. We talked about uh, just tons and tons and tons of stuff, and it was a really really uh, interesting conversation that I think you're going to learn a lot from. Um, so without me any more from me, here's my conversation with Maureen Anderson from Intix. I want to welcome Maureen Anderson from E-Tick, or Intix sorry, to the Business of Fun podcast. Maureen, how are you? I'm great, Dave. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I am uh, just hanging out. It's a nice fall day here in D.C. It's like the first day it hasn't rained in weeks and weeks and weeks, it seems like. Um, and I'm excited because I'm talking to you, and you said this is your first podcast. So hopefully I will be a gentle interviewer, and we'll have a nice conversation that people will learn a lot from. Sounds great to me. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm in the, the Intix office, which happens to be housed in my uh, my home in Denver, Colorado. And it's a beautiful, <laughs> chilly fall day here. Yeah. Well, we share that in common. Then. Our, my office is the uh, third or the fourth floor of my house. So there, <laughs> it's very nice. Um, but let me let me start out by asking you a little bit. I know that you know now you're, you're fairly established in your role at Intix. But uh, when we first met, you were still fairly new in your role. And we talked at the time in Birmingham, England, even um, about what your vision for Intix was. And I want to, you know, for people who either have heard the Intix name or maybe have become disassociated from what you're working on or maybe aren't familiar with what you're doing, can you talk a little bit about your vision for Intix and where you're taking it? Thanks, Dave. It's um, it's not necessarily so much my my vision as it is a collective vision, and that I have a very strategic board which is terrific, and they have a long-range strategic plan that is actually guiding our hand. And what that all means is is that to be as succinct as possible is that Intix's overall mission is to ignite success. And when we meet, say that, what we mean is that for our vendor partners, for our members, for the first-time ticket professional who's just entering this market, as well as to those who are seasoned veterans, is making sure that we provide a, a world, an environment that collectively they can plug into and take what they need to be successful in their, their lives, in their communities, in their jobs, and servicing their customers and their patrons. You know, at the end of the day, what this all means is that if we as professionals in this industry, from the technology side to the boots on the ground, you know, person at the front line is that our customers, patrons, and fans have a safe, trusted environment for entertainment, and that that front line is this, it starts with the ticket, and that what they buy is secure, safe, and real, and that what we do as a collective organization is fair and equitable, transparent and open to the customers for the best possible moment for a customer. And that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, Intix started 40 years ago. It's Intix's 40th anniversary this year. 
And what we try to do is to maintain that original purpose is to provide a forum for ticketing professionals to engage with each other, learn from each other, um, and have a, a network of people that they can go to when they are needing information or needing help with something that is a, a, a problem, um, and then learning best practices and where the industry is going to. And if we stay true to that, then what we do is that we provide the ability for the first-time person who may be new to the office of ticketing to the youth who are coming up in our industry who are just starting their their careers. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, Dave, is that we hope to provide this framework that shows that ticketing in all kinds of verticals, whether it be sports, arts, colleges, or technology, is that there's a career path for them and it's viable. You can feed your family and you can have a long vital and engaged career doing this profession. And, you know, at, at, you know, the other side of all of it is, is that, you know, Intix is, you know, really driving force right now is, is that if someone's talking about ticketing, Intix is in the conversation because we are the people who are doing it. Yeah, no, that I, and, and I appreciate how much depth you covered. And, and one of the things that really strikes me, um, about what you've done and what you continue to do is you talked about people having a career path and understanding that you can really have a life in tickets and you can feed your family, you know, cause these are very important things is your strong advocacy for the profession. Right. And, and one of the things that comes through a lot in some of the talks you've given or some of the remarks you've made, you know, and some of the stuff that people have definitely seen and covered is that it's inspirational in the way that you are telling people to, to not be ashamed, to have pride in what they're doing. Um, and, and, and in a way, it kind of mirrors what I do because I sit there all the time like, and I'm like going, don't be afraid of like what you're doing, like it's not worthy because really what, and this is what I, you know, this is more a monologue now. Um, but what I, you know, what I always am like telling people is like, don't run from the responsibility because you are providing people an experience. that's going to bring, help them create community and connection to people. And that's what we desire um, so much more as consumers. And just this, this is sort of who we are as, as animals and people It's like, we need these connections and communities. So, your advocacy for the profession has always struck me as like really powerful. Um, and the, the question then is like, you know, is this, how long did it take you or like, what was the evolution of your feelings about this? Because I can't only imagine if your experience is like mine, it wasn't something that you just popped out with, you know, it, it took a while for you to uncover, or at least for me to uncover the power of, you know, what people are doing when they're helping people in, you know, entertainment and live experiences. Well, you know, mine wasn't, thank you, Dave, it's, it's perfect the way you, you set that is that it is an evolution. And, you know, one of the, the things I talk about these days is that there there has been this, you know, perception that we has, have an industry that we've kind of, you know, done to ourselves is that when someone says, well, what do you do? Is that somebody will just answer the question, well, you know, I work, I work in, in, in the box office and people look at you kind of odd and you know, it's not just the box office and it's changing the perception of who and what we are. Now, my evolution is because I've been in this industry for, you know, 35 plus years is, you know, I learned through my process that, you know, I'm not just anything and that I had to wear many, many hats and there's, and I had to be many kind of different things to many different people inside of an organization. And one minute I was a fundraiser. The next minute is I was, you know, a marketing or a PR professional because I had to speak to the customers, to the press, to the clients in a way that was proactive. And many times we have to explain what we do because people don't understand that there's an army of people behind what we do and technologies and technology infrastructures and technology companies and you know, people who go to great lengths to make one single event, whether it's 400 people or whether it's 25,000 people, you have a lot of stuff that goes behind that and a lot of customer service and a lot of infrastructure and setup and time and headaches. That's just if it's an easy performance. If you look at an event that's complicated that you end up having to reseat, you know, you, you start to figure out through time and being kind of tempered by 
by storm, if you will, that you need to be able to do a lot of different things. And you need to be able to do it in such a way that you set priorities for what your day looks like. But at the end of the day, you have a curtain going up or a game starting or an overture starting at a certain time. And what was a priority in the morning, you have to turn on a dime and have a different priority at four o'clock. And that takes a very special skill set. And but but that's time tempered. You get that by by actually doing and being successful in it. And, you know, ticket people will often share a lot of war stories because living in those war stories is where we get those moments of collective support and understanding is that I've been there. I've done that. Here's how I survived it. And here's what I will do differently next time. And I'm not sure I answered the complete question, but, you know, I believe so profoundly and so deeply in the value of what it puts an organization to a venue, to a team, to a technology team. You know, the value is so huge and the mind, the, the, the resources that come in one individual ticketing professional are pretty limitless. You know, they have to be really skilled at many different things. And there's not a lot of jobs that are like that. And, you know, for those of us who kind of thrive on, on, on chaos, and I think a lot of us do, we like having problems to solve and to unravel. And it's kind of a little battle. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's it's like an emotional factor. Yeah, I was going to say the chaos thing that, that that really strikes true to me. It's um, you know, I, I had a um, I guess the Dave or one of the Dave origin stories. A part of that is that I work for Paul Allen, uh, who just passed away, and he started Microsoft and he started this museum, the Experience Music Project in Seattle, that's now called the Mopop, and everybody that was around me, they had like their titles, and that was like a lot, so many of the people were like that was what their job was, right? That's who they were, right? Whatever their job was. And for me, I, I, you know, I had a fairly inconsequential title, but I ended up reporting to Jody, Paul's um, sister, who's the CEO, just because she thought that I sold the museum so well to people. And so I always looked at my job as like the public face of the museum, to humanize the museum. And I think that, and you know, that's like sort of encapsulating what you were talking about before, but it was one of the people I work with goes, the crazier things get, the better you are and the calmer you seem to get. And I, and I think that really like kind of um, saw like wraps up like people who do really well in ticketing. You know, it's like you have to understand you're kind of a magician and you're kind of a juggler. And that like, yeah, but that's not really like a job title. <laughs> well, exactly. You know what? What chief magician? Um, you know, it's that kind of mysterious thing is that a lot of people think because they don't understand what we do is you know, in in our world, you know, people ask you what your elevator speech is and everybody prepares one. So when people say, well, what do you do? You know, everybody's got one. So, you know, for me, the new one is is really kind of is that we're magicians and we're the magic behind the button. Because a customer, whether they're at their laptop, their PC um, or, you know, on their phone, when they press that buy button or pay now button or checkout button, uh there's a whole army of people behind, actual human beings behind that button that makes it all work. And there's mystery and there's amazement behind that, that all you have to do as a consumer is push a bloody button. But the rest of us are the ones that make all that magic work. And the key here and the real magic is, is that we make it look seamless. And, you know, you think about that, that young person who's, in the, we put an, an immense amount of responsibility on ticketing professionals, if you think about it, is that they may be the only person that a fan or a patron or a customer ever encounters is the one behind the window or the one they talk to on the phone that represents an entire organization, a team, or an event. And how powerful is that, that down to this one person that you hired as an overhire person because you got a big show, you have put this immense responsibility to represent your entire infrastructure. And you know what? 
most of the time we do it really, really well because we take it so incredibly serious. And that it's creating the, the magic. We like the mystery, too, is, is that the customer shouldn't see any of us to a certain degree. They shouldn't know about the infrastructure behind it. They shouldn't know about the name of the vendor who happens to be the, you know, the, the, who's powering the engine. It's not about that. It's about does it work? Is it seamless? Is it safe? Is it valid? And... Oh, you know, then you end up with, you know, the people that you actually get to meet when they come to the event in that face to face moment. And so we kind of changed. You used to hand money over to a person who would then hand you a ticket and you would have that simple transaction. And now it's a lot different that, you know, you only see a ticket person is or talk to them is that if you need information, knowledge or have a problem. Yeah. and But I think one thing that you said that really I think still holds so so true. It was um, when I worked in Seattle at the at STG, Seattle Theater Group. Uh, yeah. the, the way I ended up with the job was because, and I forget the guy's name who hired me because I had lived in Seattle for maybe 72 hours when I got the job at that point because I had moved. I didn't know anybody at the time. Um, but he said, because I have a friendly face. <laughs> and, and I think that one of the things that um, as we're marketing the profession, we need to um, put – more of a friendly face on things and help people understand that like they, in a lot of ways, they are the friendly face of the industry and, you know, understanding that you have the capability or you, and you're in the palm, you have the power in the palm of your hands really to make or break somebody's in vacation, their, you know, first date, business deals, all of these things. And, you know, and it really is a powerful responsibility um, you know, and it's one I, I advocate for people to take a lot more seriously because I think it gives you your work a sense of value that maybe um, goes beyond just like the role that you do. And, it, you know, because I think you need to understand that power that you have, which is, again, well, back to what you talk about a lot. It's the, the power to affect change. It's like you just said, which I love, and particularly at this time of year is coming into holiday programming. You know, back in my days at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts, you know, someone would come railing to the window and, you know, you've ruined my Christmas. And, you know, they have a small child who is expecting to see the Nutcracker or, you know, Annie or whatever it is, Elf. And there's been a kerfluffle on the dates of the tickets. Whether it's their fault or not is immaterial. Is that how can I fix this to affect change in this moment? How can I turn this? moment of of disaster because you've ruined my Christmas and it's an emotional moment which is very much attached to all of us how do I affect that change and that is the profound moment where we get that choice to affect the change even if we can't fix that very moment there's a heck of a lot at our disposal of how we can still turn this around to make it great for the customer because at the end of the day without the customer Coming into our venues, we don't have much of anything. Yeah, that is a point that I don't think can be made often often enough. Um, because I mean, I know at some point I wanted to just bring up and talk about the challenges and opportunities facing the uh, you know that we deal with, and a lot of them I know are going to get covered at the conference coming up in January in Dallas. Um, but one of the big ones is. In a lot of places, people are struggling to get people into the venues, right? And I think that we've talked a lot about service and um, the magic of going to a live event. And this is one of the challenges that I see is that we, we have to really re-infuse um, and kind of regrow and rebuild the mystique around, you know, live sports and live concerts, the performing arts, Um you know, where do you stand on, on this challenge of, you know, the marketing, the arts and, and live entertainment? And what do you see as some of the actions, that positive actions that we can take to sort of, um, you know, get more people involved and get more people to come out? Well, I think part of it is, you know, we could talk about price until the end of the, uh, you know, the, the millennial. But, you know, it goes beyond price. And I think that that's where the key is, is that those organizations and when I say organizations, I, you know, I'm speaking as a big swath here because it could be sports, arts, um, professional venues, music, whatever it is, is that good customer service is what it comes down to at the end of the day. 
people will provide loyalty to your organization if you show loyalty, transparency, kindness, and good service to them. If you make and put up barriers to your organization, it doesn't matter so much what you're putting on the stage or on in the building. They may choose to go someplace else where they feel more valued. And this is where we can always take a page from, you know, our, our friends over in fundraising is that fundraising happens because people feel valued and because they ask and it's based on relationships. So bringing that back over to the ticketing side and to the industry side is, is that we have a unique scenario and that is that through processes over many years, our industry has held on to their data. And when we use that data to converse with our customers and to provide them with a way to converse to us, and if we actively listen to what they are saying to us and stop putting a price tag so much on the cost of service, is that if an organization has a customer service mantra that goes from top to bottom, bottom to top, and everything in between where our guests come first, then you are going to have a successful organization because you're going to build loyalty where people will go to you first for their entertainment dollars spent. It's that simple. And if you think about any of the other businesses that you work with in your life, you go to the businesses that give you good service and that you feel loyal to because they feel loyal to you. And why would ticketing be any different? Why would, you know, entertainment purchases be any different than that? And technology gives us a great way now to be able to craft messages to each individual patron and consumer the way they want to work with you. And taking advantage of that is, I think, really where we're going to have to go is use the technology to create loyalty and consumer behaviors. But that also means we have to behave a certain way as well. If you're going to you know, internal and external, if your customer service is, is, is sloppy or haphazard, you're going to get sloppy and haphazard consumers. Because or, or why results, would they want to right? You're going to get, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Because I'm not sure if you're, if you're getting sloppy or haphazard customer service that you're necessarily get, and I, I think this is me, my hypothesis is that you're not getting sloppy and haphazard customers. They're just going somewhere else because yeah, the, exactly. the barrier is like, gets higher every day for what people will spend their entertainment dollars on. So when you talked about price, this is something I talk about fairly often at this point is that typically the price objection is not about price. It's about value and it's about service. And and there is an, and I know this from a lot of the work I did with American express and the Centurion card concierge program is that price, sometimes a higher price it makes people desire what they're, what you're offering them more, right? Which I think probably is part of the thing. I, I've never seen Hamilton, but I'm uh, but I'm assuming that part of what it drives those high prices is the fact that it's a high price ticket that people want want to feel part of. But the bigger thing is, is like if people are saying that your event's too expensive, you should probably step back and go, well, why are they saying it's too expensive? Is it because the performance isn't great? You and I know that like there's an so many great performances that go on that people don't go to or is it something else and i think a lot of times we miss opportunities because we're so focused on price right and sometimes the prices are out of line but you got to start the conversation by looking at value and the idea about data i mean preach because i don't think we use data properly in a lot of cases i think we use it to limit our decisions as opposed to like test hypotheses which, you know, which should, you know, help us make better decisions. But instead, it seems like we get hamstrung by our decision-making process because the data, you know, we use it with so many restrictions and and in such a way that it confines us. Um, You know, I I know you have a much heavier data background than I do, though. You might have a different feeling about that. Well, in this day and age is that, you know, you can't say that, you know, everybody wants to be communicated to via, you know, text message because of X, Y, Z. You know, those organizations, I think, that are successful are those that have started to do the persona kind of marketing is that who who the heck are these people is mining the data? How many kids do we have coming to the event? How many millennials do we have? How many how many uh, generation 
X, whatever they are, and figuring out who and what they are by tracking their buying habits and then tailoring conversations to engage them the way they want to be engaged. I mean, we have the data at our at our fingerprint, at our finger touch. Why aren't we, you know, digging deeper into it? And, you know, this doesn't have to be huge or complicated. And I think we will use, you know, expense as an excuse not to do. And sometimes that's a foolish decision because in the not doing, you are still sending a cultural message to your customers and that I'm not valued. You don't want to talk to me. You don't want to ask me the questions. I mean, there's, there's an arts organization here in Denver that, you know, for years I was very involved with and they send me the same message over and over, but not once has someone reached out to me with a simple phone call or a simple email that says, dear Maureen, we haven't heard from you in a long time. And that's the kind of thing that I mean is, is that, you know, it's more than just the ticket. You need to build a relationship with me. And then once you've done that, is that what are you doing inside the venues? Are you all of a sudden you have barriers around, oh, you must sit down, shut up, turn your phone off and, you know, only buy drinks at this bar and you can't take them into the theaters. What have we done to then, you know, put a barrier around the event? So it's looking holistically at the entire experience, you know, long before they actually buy. And that's data mining and figuring out who and what they are and talking to them and then engaging with them and thanking them and saying, thanks for buying a ticket today. We'll see you on such. And oh, next week they send them an email saying, you know, there's parking issues. We suggest you park here. Here's a, a, a coupon because we know you're going to have some parking issues. And here's a coupon for a drink. And all of that stuff put together. And then in the venue, is somebody greeting you? And then after you see the show, is somebody sending you a note saying, thank you for coming to the show. You might be interested in this event. And it's an ongoing dialogue. And it takes some time. And it takes a, a stem to stern view on how you want to engage with your customer. Really, and it's ongoing. You can't stop. You can't just say, "Okay, for this year we're going to do this customer service thing," and then the next year it goes by the wayside. It's constant. It's it's the most important thing. I say that customer service is the best form of marketing. Because, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, and I've I hopefully have tried to live that in most of the roles where, you know, where I've had contact with customers, but. You know, everything you said, it all adds up to instead of thinking about, and, and I think this is like a problem um, a lot of places, right? We have so much data and we have so much access to data that it, you, you want to look at the numbers, but you forget we're, we're people working with other people. We're people serving other people. And so, you, you know, we want to bring the humanity to your night out, right? And and I think if, if you thought about it, and this is the way I try to teach people, is like, Imagine yourself in the other person's shoes. How would I feel, right? I mean, I've ranted and raved here about the $16 Budweiser's at Nats Park, right? And it doesn't matter if you drink beer or not. You can, I think you can, we can all agree it's pretty offensive. Um, you know, and I was like, well, um, but the question really is, is like, don't look at the spreadsheet. Ask yourself if I were at some place and somebody's charging me $16 for a beer or $10 for a hot dog. How would I feel? Right. I know we all have to make money, but the thing is, is like a lot of times you need the people come back, right? Like, you, you know, it's not a finite or infinite market of people, right? You're not playing a finite game where like you can just squeeze every dollar out of everybody. Every time you have to build the, like you said, the relationship, right? And if you're trying to win that relationships, that's an infinite game because there's no end to that, that, you know, you have to continue to work at this. Over and over and over. Yeah, you again. do. And you know, the the one thing that drives me slightly crazy is that just because we have technology, we shouldn't have to we shouldn't hide behind it. Because the most important thing becomes that one on one engagement in the relationship again. You know, you sell a season ticket package because somebody's had a dialogue with you, you get a donation, or you sell a glass of wine, is that that's a one on one facing somebody eye to eye, and that's the humanity moment. And if we continue to hide behind the technology and not answer our phones and not talk to people and not want to engage with them, 
then the results are going to be pretty clear. You know, they're going to stop talking to you too. And that's going to translate into they're going to take their dollar someplace else where they do get treated humanely and somebody does return their phone call and somebody does answer their text. And it's like, well, you know what, this this email and text thing isn't working. Let me just call you. Because how many times a day do you hear that you don't get somebody to talk to anymore? Right. Exactly right. It seems like the greatest opportunity that you have is just pick up the phone and call somebody. It's amazing how many people answer their phone, because, especially if they think it's like a real person on the other line. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it entertainment is live entertainment. And the cooperative word being live is, and that's what I do see in the industry, is that people who, you know, ticketing jobs are not going away because we put in more technology. The, the reverse is actually happening, is where smart companies are investing in employees to be the, the face of an industry, a, a face of a venue or an organization where there is someone to talk to, where there is a dialogue that is happening. And we're being retooled from just, you know, functionary clerk kind of people to, you know, problem solvers and PR people and marketing people and people who are, you know, salespeople who are upselling and cross-selling. But that happens because you have a person to talk to. Because that's where... The, the, the di- is inside the dialogue is where the communication and the relationship builds, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's the Ritz-Carlton thing. We, we should all consider ourselves ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's, that's perfect. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, and, you know, sometimes we've lost – in society today, we have so many examples of discourtesy and bad behavior that – one thing that is great about this industry is is that we we generally are not the hateful people. We're the problem solving people. Yeah, that's right. And most of the people I ha- I meet um, have been very nice. I mean, I know that in DC, um, I engage with the Intix group here in DC, and it couldn't be like the nice. It couldn't be a nicer group of people. <laughs> I mean, they're they're just. I mean, most of the people are extremely nice. So it's you know it shouldn't be a leap to get everybody to buy into that philosophy. No, and I think that's you know that's one of the powers of Intix is that w- with this association is what we've created is this network of people, and I know from my personal experience as a long term Intix member, you know when I was sitting in the in the ticket office chair or I was a vendor is. Intix people call each other back. They take those phone calls. If somebody calls me and needs some help, I will always return that call because we never know when we might need that help ourselves or when we will be looking for our next job. And this network is incredibly powerful. And Intix people talk to Intix people and you will always have help if you ask because there's always someone to go to who has either been there or done that. And I've just watched that phenomenon happen of really potently with, with the Hamilton thing because Hamilton is playing every region and every major city in, in the United States, and those people are learning from each other. And they're saying, okay, I know you just did this. What do I need to know? And they're asking those who have gone in front of them for help. How did you do this? How did you staff? What did you do? How did you do your customer service? What kind of problems did you have? And that's the power of this group. And then, for example, you know, the, 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 like the all-star game for, for baseball. You know, the guys at in, in the Nationals did it this year, and they're helping the people in Atlanta who will be doing it next year. And that comes from a collective network of people who are tapped into each other and absolutely believe in what they're doing and that help for each other is paramount and let's share some knowledge and best practices. And we're not afraid to say, I made a mistake here. I should have done this differently. Here's what I would suggest you do to get ahead of my mistake. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and the really thing, the thing is, is it comes from a point of generosity because we all have to realize that in 99.9% of the times we're not competing with anybody else. No. You know, we're ne- almost never competing with people, even people in our own town, because a concert at the, at the Anthem is much different than a baseball game at Nats Park. 
they're not competition really. I mean, they might be competition for attention, but they're not really competition. So there's not like you you should be they shouldn't always should feel reluctant because they are talking to a competitor. We're 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 collaborators, not competitors, at least I think. Oh, I would agree completely. You know, when you get into your when you get into the 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 Intix bubble or into the network is that the competitive thing goes away. You know, we realize and we understand with each other you may use a different ticketing system, so there may be nuances to that. We all get that. And, you know, we share information with each other in proprietary ways because we also not only have that point of generosity, but we have that point of trust and ethics. Right? I agree. I mean, and I was going to say, you know, even to further that point is I see so many competitors who people who work for competing companies that are still willing to help their competition, you know, in ways to help them make sure they're better and, you know, they're more effective. You know, it might not be on a technology thing if they're competing with technology, but it's, you know, they, they still, everybody still helps each other out. And I know for certain, since my work touches a lot of other things, that doesn't always, not always the case. That's not always the case. No, you know, we, you know, when I was on the sales side, cause I worked for two, um, two technology partners and, you know, I would come up against people who were my friends and my colleagues and Jorge and I have may have worked for before, you know, and you come to each other in a competitive way, you know, competing for business. But there was always that kind of mutual respect on, on the field of competition. But then, you know, you were also able to step back and to say, you know, congratulations, Maureen, you deserve to win that one. Or, you know, me doing the same thing back and forth, the saying you had the best solution. You know, that's it's collegiate. It's 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 respectful. It's it's business is business, and that's okay. We need to do that. And we need to, you know, make sure we sharpen our edges you know, as business people, because that's what we are as well. But, you know, there's people who have been in this business for 40 plus years who, you know, have worked for multiple companies who still are friends with people they may have worked with three companies ago. And and, and we don't burn bridges. I mean, this industry is remarkably strong in the fact that we don't burn bridges because you never know who you're going to be working for or competing with or competing for next month. No, that that's absolutely right. Um, and, and, I, and I think that, I mean, I think that hopefully if anybody takes only one thing away from it, it is that anybody who is a member of Intix does take a little time to reach out to people, right? Because I, I think it's powerful. I mean, I, you know, I have, I mean, you know this because you've seen it with, with your own eyes. I have people, I know people all over the world now because of like the power of tickets and Intix and, you know. Um, Andrew Thomas's conference in England, you know, TPC, you know, and it's, it's unbelievable. And all it is, is like, you just connect with people and everybody really wants to see everybody else be successful. And it's a really, really, really tremendous group of people in that way, um, which, you know, the world probably needs a lot more of. Um, but, but I don't, I don't want to get too far along before we talk about the conference because the conference is coming up. Um, as you said earlier, it's the 40th anniversary of Intix. So this will be the 40th anniversary conference. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what's going to happen in Dallas so, so that we can sell some people on coming. Cause I, I know that I had fun in Baltimore last year. Yeah, we're going to, uh, to Dallas. Actually, we're going to the Gaylord Texan resort, which is, um, a Gaylord property. It's under the dome, and it's in Grapevine, Texas, which is about a 10-minute car ride from the uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and DFW. And it is a beautiful space um, and a very large space. And what Intix does, for those who don't know, I mean, we do a three-day conference and exhibition, and we have probably the one of the, the last remaining strong selling exhibitions left in the in the industry where we have – you know, 80 to 95, depending on the year, 90 some exhibitors on the floor who are selling their their softwares or their services, their consulting services. And, you know, we have everything from, you know, the the large enterprise grade ticketing software to ticket printers to payment processors, marketing services, boutique shops to, you know, the big ones, insurances, um, ticket insurance companies. So it's a gamut of of products and services that for the industry then the other third that what we do is one third is exhibition one third is 
conference program of education, which is primarily a curated, vetted call for presentation program created that is best practices. It is industry up and coming things that we need to talk to. It's about technology. It's about customer service. It's about education um, and thought leadership. And that program goes over three days. And then the other third of what we do is networking and fun. And we have an award ceremony where we salute and herald those members of NTIX who have done either career-wise or, you know, time and space, things that are of interest and, and, and are worthy of being noted. So we have an awards program of Lifetime Achievement, Ticket Professional, Ticketing Office of the Year, and the NTIX Spirit Award. We also um, have keynote speakers. I'm currently working on the closing keynote, but the opening keynote is a woman named Cynthia Marshall, who is the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks. She will be our opening keynote speaker, and we will have a closing keynote. And then we also have a party, and we have a big party that celebrates who and what we are as a collective, where we all come together to to dance and to to drink and to eat and to have some fun together and to share that camaraderie and that fun and that that engagement that helps us go back after the conference and we get inspired at the conference, we get motivated at the conference, we get engaged, we come to do business, we come to buy things, and we come to create relationships. And so we'll gather in Dallas this year, uh, January 29 through 31. And right now we have plenty of res reservations for the hotel still available. And although those are going quickly and registration is wide open, so it's it's that time to register. For those who want to go is that it's intix.org is our website, and it's right on the front page with a button that says register. And we'd love to have people come to check us out, especially people who are first-timers. And I pretty much guarantee if you come once, you pretty much stay. Yeah, I, I will tell you that the red dots will definitely – the likelihood of me saying hello to the red dots is extremely, extremely high um, because that's like a really like great signifier that, <laughs> that Intix does that other conferences don't do. And I think it helps um, break that barrier down between like being uncomfortable yeah, going to something. Yeah, we don't, we're, you know, with the vernacular of the red dot, we're, we're kind of getting rid of and we're going with the first timers. And first timers are first timers to Intix. They're not made... They may, and possibly most of them are not first-timers to the industry, but they're the first time to the organization. But last year we saw an increase of first-timers, but what was really interesting is that out of the first-time attendees last year, Dave, is that we saw a 25% lift on attendees who were under 30. So for those who are first coming into the industry, for the youth of our industry, it's a great place to find it's the place where somebody who is new can talk to a CEO of a company. And how invaluable is that? No, I, I think it, I, I mean, I thought it was very valuable, you know, and I think it's, I mean, I think it's a great place to connect with people. And I wouldn't yeah. say, I wouldn't say that because people would think I was, a, if I didn't believe it, because people would think I was a jerk then. <laughs> but, no, so. You know, Dave, is the, you were, you were a perfect example is that, you know, is that Andrew and I both said, you need to come to Intix is trust us. You need to come. And I watched you, Dave, you sat on a couch and you made a heck of a lot of friends, but you sat on a couch inside the exhibition hall where the, where the business was happening. And that was, uh, that was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, no, I, uh, um, you know, and I, uh, and again, I probably could teach a class on how to work a, uh, a, um, you know, a convention hall in a way that'll help you get business or make connections because, you know, I know that's a challenge too. So you'd have to stop by the booth again to find me and I would teach you that. <laughs> well, the, and as we were talking earlier is that you went from being a first timer to in Baltimore last year to this year where you're speaking on a couple of panels. Yeah, that's right. A couple, well, you, I got a couple of went, things. Went, yeah. You went from first timer to, you know, you'll be a rock star at the end of 2019. Well, you know, I mean, and I'm a, probably a very good example of somebody who ha hadn't been involved with intakes but had been around forever, right? And like, yeah, um, exactly. and, and had experience that people really would benefit from, um, but just uh -huh. never got involved. Just never was involved, and not for any like, not like I had any like reason other. I just didn't do it. But I, you know, I, obviously, I've found great value from being involved. So I would encourage people to you know to to check it out. 
and I'll and I'll yeah, I'll tag all this and I'll link to all this stuff in the in the show notes as well, so people can find this. But I, I mean, I definitely encourage people to go. Yeah, and you know, just a little shout out is when we were talking earlier about you know one of the missions of Entix is that to be you know like kind of the voice of an industry as well is that we have a great content hub that we rolled out last year where it's original content, it's thought thoughtful, mindful content. It's it's a lot of it is original content. We're doing a lot of interviews of engaged people in the industry. You know, we're not doing doom and gloom. You know, what we don't talk about is that we don't kick people who've had a mistake. You know, we don't talk about something failing. What we do is talk about elevating and motivating and inspiring at access.com. So if you tag that for me, that'd be great. No, that's great. And, I, and everybody should know, I, they're probably by the time this even goes up, maybe not, but shortly, I'll, I'll have an article coming up about how technology is going, it helps improve customer service. So even though I didn't tell you this before, this played right into a lot of our conversation today. So, you know, t- talk about timeliness. <laughs> it's like mine. Yeah. You know, I know our time is coming to an end. And, and one of the things for me is that is incredibly special that I – I know because of, of my lifetime here is that I came into Intix as a, a newbie 35 plus years ago and I found a community, I found a tribe, I found a group of like-minded people who have supported me, I have gotten my, my career path from them, I have gotten help and motivation and mentorship and ideas and structure and strength and friendship and colleagues that are part of my life deeply and I've served and I've been given a huge amount to from Intix back to me and to sit in this chair now running the organization for and with the membership is the greatest thing in the world because it's the cycle of what the value is is that I came and I have gotten so much more and the collective feeling of support that I get from this association and that I know my members do. And that I, you know, that's, that's the message here is that there are people out there who are here to support you in a non-threatening and mindful, thoughtful, generous way. Yeah, no. And how can, how was the best way for people to find you on the internet? Because I think that's a good, a good spot to end on. You can find me on Facebook under Maureen Anderson, and I'll caution everybody is that my last name is spelled with an S-E-N, so if you don't find me under S-O-N, there's a reason. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter as Smokey Holden, and I'm on LinkedIn under my name. I'm out there, and you know you can find me from the Intix website as well with my, with my email, and you know I kind of embrace all the technologies, and I answer them all too. <laughs> I, I'm linked to my phone. I love my phone. <laughs> You're like me. You update. You, as soon as there's a new one out, I go get it. It's, it's just the cost Absolutely. of doing business. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Maureen, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you, Dave. It was a pleasure. And thanks, uh, thanks for the opportunity. And I sure look forward to seeing you soon. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Maureen Anderson from Intix, for taking the time to talk to us about all things ticket-related. As always... You can find me at my website. It's www.davewakeman.com, where you can find my daily blog, where you can find out where I'm traveling to, uh, any kind of webinars, seminars, uh, other fun things I might be up to. You can also follow me on the Twitter, at David Wakeman. Connect with me on LinkedIn um, and all of those other social media platforms. If you like what we're doing here in the podcast, I'd really love it. If you'd subscribe, currently we're definitely on Stitcher. We're definitely on Spotify. I can even get you in my new car. Um, Check us out on iTunes. Just search for Business of Fun or my name and subscribe and leave a review. This stuff really helps us and it helps us keep giving you great content that you can listen to and hopefully apply to your career. And finally, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect who sponsored this episode. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered. They are the global leaders in refund protection, and they work with some of the most well-respected organizations around the world to offer their guests refund protection, which gives the customer a better buying experience, more peace of mind when they're making a purchase, 
and for the organization that partners with Booking Protected offers them a brand new stream of revenue. So please check out their website at www.bookingprotect.com. And until next time, thank you for listening, and I'll see you again soon. Take it easy.